Welcome to the Mystery Junkie Podcast, where each week we are sure to satisfy your craving with some of the most intense and suspenseful mysteries. I am your host, Angela Simone. Thank you so much for tuning in, and let's get into this mystery. This episode of Mystery Junkie is about Robert Hansen, the butcher baker of Alaska. Unlike his fictional counterpart, Robert Hansen was no aristocrat. He was born on February 15, 1939, in Esterville, Iowa, to a very strict Danish immigrant father who owned a bakery. As you could imagine, Hansen's childhood was not an easy one. He worked long hours in the family's bakery. And though he was naturally left-handed, his father forced him to use his right hand, a switch that resulted into a lifelong stutter. As a teenager, he was painfully shy, had bad acne, and was mocked for his stutter. The boys at school made fun of him, and the girls he liked and pursued rejected him. He was often described as a loner, a social outcast, if you will. He took refuge in any time he was able to spend alone. Over time, he became an avid game hunter, channeling his rage and fantasies of vengeance of those who bullied and harassed him into the sport of stalking animals. Somehow, in the 1970s, Robert Hansen turned this premise into a horrifying, decade-long reality. Though Hansen maintained a wholesome reputation in town, he let his hidden dark side run wild in the woods of Alaska. Throughout the 70s and early 80s, Hansen targeted sex workers and exotic dancers, abducting these women to turn them loose into the woods so he could hunt them like wild animals. This is the true terrifying story of the Butcher Baker serial killer of Alaska. In the mid-1970s, construction of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline brought swarms of people to Anchorage, turning it into a boom town of oilmen, construction workers, and a vice economy of illegal drugs and sex. A frontier town in the last frontier state, Anchorage was being settled by people who left it all behind, those without roots or community ties and those starting over. Those whom, if they disappeared from their new Alaskan homes, would hardly be missed. So when Anchorage's sex workers began disappearing in the late 1970s, it went unnoticed. But on September 2nd, 1983, state troopers were put on high alert. That's when the body of 17-year-old exotic dancer Paula Goulding was found on the banks of the Nick River by a construction crew. She'd been missing for almost five months, and her remains were found near another exotic dancer, 23-year-old Sherry Morrow. There were two 23 shell casings near the bodies of both women. Ballistic reports showed that they'd been fired from the same high-powered hunting rifle. Far from the burgeoning city where they lived, out in the Alaskan wild, they'd been hunted down like wild animals. The land of the midnight sun had a serial killer on its hands. Although it was known for its thousands of square miles of wilderness, Anchorage was also known for its notorious red light district. Ever since the late 1970s, police had been receiving steady reports about missing prostitutes and topless dancers. Initially, these disappearances caused little to no concern, as such girls were notorious for leaving at a moment's notice, and usually without telling anybody where they were going. 
However, police have been growing desperately concerned by the sheer number of people who had left high-earning jobs mysteriously without a trace. On June 13, 1983, a 19-year-old Anchorage prostitute named Cindy Paulson was out looking for business on a street corner when she was approached by a dorky-looking, nervous Mark who had a terrible stammer. When she agreed on a price with him, he asked for oral sex, and she got into his pickup truck, and as she was in the process of satisfying her client, she looked up and saw the barrel of a 357 Magnum looking right down at her. The man then produced a pair of handcuffs from underneath his seat and snapped them right onto Cindy's wrist. He drove off through the leafy suburbs of Anchorage. The truck eventually pulled up outside a large, blue-gray, ranch-style home, and the girl was forced inside. She was dragged down the basement steps, and once down there, she was confronted with a menage of icy stairs. The basement walls were covered with sporting trophies. She thought, this man has to be a hunter. Cindy was handcuffed naked to a pillar in the center of a room and was repeatedly raped and sodomized for hours. The hunter then lay back on the sofa and fell asleep. When he finally woke up, Cindy was made to dress and was re-handcuffed only to be driven to the Merrillfield Airport, where the truck pulled up alongside a small blue and white aircraft. On the way, the hunter had told Cindy that they were going to take a trip and fly up to the hunter's cabin in the Alaskan wilderness. He boasted that he had taken lots of girls there just for fun. Cindy had seen her chance to escape as they arrived to the plane. As the hunter got out, she pushed through the driver's door and ran towards the lights of Fifth Avenue. As she ran, she could hear the captor shouting, Stop, you bitch! Stop or I'll kill you! Cindy never looked back. As she reached the road, she saw a truck headlights approaching her, and she waved down with all her might. The driver, 36-year-old Robert Yount, slammed on his brakes, and Cindy clamored to safety. After reporting her incident to the Anchorage police, Cindy was taken to the Anchorage Humana Hospital for examination. The examination revealed vaginal bruising and shackle marks around her wrist and neck, corroborating her story of being abducted. She was then taken back to the Anchorage police headquarters to be interviewed. Cindy managed to give the police detailed description of her assailant's house, car, plane, and looks. It did not take the police long to identify the man as 40-year-old Robert Hansen, a married baker who owned a thriving business in Anchorage. Less than two hours after Cindy had made her escape, police arrived at Hansen's home, and there they confronted a man who matched Cindy's description exactly. The police informed Hansen of the nature of the allegations that had been made against him. He looked astonished and agreed to accompany the police to the station. Hansen was interviewed there by Officer William Dennis of the Anchorage PD Sexual Assault Unit. He was cooperative, polite, and did not demonstrate any characteristics that suggested his guilt, although he was strangely calm for someone falsely accused. Hansen gave a detailed account of his movements, claiming that his wife and family were away in Europe and that he had been out with two friends, John Sumrall and John Hanning, at the time that he was accused of raping Cindy. Both men, when interviewed, backed up his story. Hansen agreed to the police for searching his home, car, airplane, and signed waivers agreeing to this. When police searched these, it became clear from Cindy's detailed description that she had been inside the car and the home at some time. 
However, it came down to the word of a respected local businessman with an alibi against that of a prostitute with the record. It was Cindy's refusal to take a lie detector test that convinced William Dennis that she was lying, and the case was closed. Officer Greg Baker, the policeman who had taken Cindy's complaint, though, was sure that Cindy had been telling the truth. However, it was not long before the police took a more serious look at the Cindy Paulding case. In July 1980, building workers discovered a shallow grave at Euclidna Lake Road. It contained the half-eaten body of a young woman, and police suspected that it may be one of the missing girls. But due to the appalling conditions of her decomposed body, positive identification proved impossible. Police made a facial reconstruction, and it was widely publicized, but the victim was never identified. She became known to investigators as Euclidna Annie. On September 12, 1982, hunters found a second shallow grave on the banks of the Nick River, which borders Anchorage. These remains were identified as that of 23-year-old topless dancer Sherry Morrow, who had been reported missing a year earlier. She had been shot in the back three times, and cartridges found near the body suggested that she had been shot with the 223 Ruger Mini-14 hunting rifle. An odd feature was that although the body was found fully clothed, there were no bullet holes in the clothing, suggesting that Sherry had been naked when shot and someone had redressed her after death. A year later, September 2nd, 1983, three months after the rape and kidnap of Cindy Paulson, a third grave was found on the banks of the Nick River. The victim was identified as another of the missing topless dancers. This time, 17-year-old Paula Golding. She had been murdered in the exact same way as Sherry Murrow, and she had also been redressed after death. Anchorage police now had to face the fact that they had a serial killer in their midst. Officer Greg Baker, the policeman who had investigated the Sidney Paulson case, had always harbored suspicions about Robert Hansen and began a detailed search into Hansen's background and personal life. At first, nothing was really found. Eventually, it did come to the surface that Hansen had served sentences 12 years earlier in 1971 for kidnap, rape, and assault with a deadly weapon. A report detailing Baker's suspicions and a copy of Hansen's criminal record was sent to the sergeant at the time of the Alaska State Troopers, Sergeant Glenn Floth, who was heading the Topless Dancers Task Force. Floth agreed that Hansen should be considered a suspect, and he began his own investigation into Hansen's background. The more he learned, the more he became convinced that he had found his killer, and Floth decided to reopen the Cindy Paulson case in an attempt to obtain evidence against Hansen. Floth re-interviewed Hansen's friends, Henning and Sumrell, about Hansen's alibi and informed them that he was threatening to charge them with perjury. The threat worked, and both men admitted that they had lied to help Hansen out of what they thought was just an embarrassing domestic violence situation. When both men had retracted their statements, an order was issued for Hansen's arrest. At 8 a.m. on October 27, 1983, Robert Hansen was arrested at his bakery and was taken to the Anchorage Trooper Station. There, Floth had stage-managed an interview room following pointers from the FBI. Hansen was placed in an interview room that had been carefully set out. There were maps of the Nick River along the walls, pictures of the grave sites, and victims on the desks. 
There were files and folders with the names of Hanson's family and friends and acquaintances on them, all left alone with Hanson in an attempt to make him stew. He was being watched by Floff through a two-way mirror. The crazy part is, Hanson appeared more intrigued than concerned. A few minutes later, Floth and Sergeant Daryl Galen entered the room and began an interview with Hanson that was to last five hours. While Hanson was being interviewed, a team of officers were searching his home. Behind a wooden paneling in his trophy room, police found cheap items of jewelry that were later traced back to the dead girls. Police also found a Ruger Mini-14 hunting rifle hidden under floorboards, which was later matched by ballistics as being the weapon that had killed Sherry Morrow and Paula Golding. The most telling item found was an aviation map of the acreage region, which had 20 asterisks drawn on them. Two of these corresponded with the sites where bodies had been found. And a third indicated the spot where the body of Joanne Messina, a 24-year-old prostitute, was found in July 1980. Investigators discovered that she had last been seen with a small, stammering man with an acne-covered face. Robert Hansen initially denied any connection with the murders, of course. But when confronted with the wealth of evidence against him, he decided to confess. He admitted that the asterisks on the map were grave sites of prostitutes that he had murdered. Hansen claimed that he had not killed every girl he had taken up to the wilderness. He claimed that he only wanted oral sex, and if the girls complied, they were flown home. If they resisted, he would force them to strip at gunpoint and make them run. They would usually be given a head start, and then Hansen would stalk them like wild animals. Chillingly, he would sometimes allow the victim to think she had escaped, but when he tracked her down, he would make her run again. This would continue until the victim was too cold or too exhausted to continue running. Then the victims would be shot. The redressing, Hansen claimed, was to satisfy his need for control, and he likened it to a trophy. On February 27, 1984, Robert Hansen was brought before Superior Court Judge Ralph Moody at the Anchorage State Courthouse. Hansen had pleaded guilty to the four murders and 13 others that he had not been formally charged with. Judge Moody sentenced Hansen, who had not shown a flicker of remorse, to 461 years plus life without the possibility of parole. Hansen was then taken out of the courtroom and in less than three hours had been convicted and sentenced for his years of the horrific crimes. After being sentenced, Hansen had an interview with the writer where he claimed that his first victim was Joanne Messina, who he murdered in July 1980. He claimed that he got very sick after killing her. A few weeks following the Messina murder, he picked up an unidentified prostitute in Anchorage. When she refused his demand for oral sex, he said that he chased her down Euclidna Road and stabbed her to death. This victim was never identified and was only known as Euclidna Annie. Hansen claimed he got an enjoyable pleasure from this killing and from then on had a powerful fantasy about hunting down and killing a woman like an animal. Although Hansen had refused to confirm whether or not he was responsible for the many disappearances, this is not to say he was uncooperative. He helped detectives to uncover where he had buried many of his victims. This was a task Hansen took to with a sickening relish. During a helicopter tour of the grave sites, he would frequently become excited and exhilarated, reliving the murders over and over in his head. Hansen even relived a moment where he was handcuffed 
and he plowed through chest-high snowdrifts where he triumphantly pointed out the grave of one of his victims. Sometimes he would drop to his knees and dig furiously with his bare hands, wild eye with a grin on his face. By the end of the summer of 1984, 11 bodies had been found, 10 of which had formerly been identified. Robert Hansen, who got the nickname The Butcher Baker, was the subject of a 2013 film titled The Frozen Ground, which starred Nicolas Cage as an Alaskan state trooper investigating the slayings. Actor John Cusack portrayed Mr. Hansen. While serving a 461-year sentence, Robert Hansen died on August 21st, 2014 at a hospital in Anchorage, Alaska. He was 75 years old. He was and will always be known as the convicted Alaska serial killer, the butcher baker. He confessed to killing 17 women, mostly dancers and prostitutes during a 12 year span. He was convicted of the four murders in a deal that spared him having to go to trial 17 times. This has been another episode of Mystery Junkie Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can check us out each week on Tuesday for a brand new episode and a brand new mystery. Follow us on Instagram at Mystery Junkie Podcast and on Facebook. If you would like to have a mystery featured, please send us an email at mysteryjunkiepodcast at gmail.com.